0: um so that's really where it kind of was an overview there chapter one so i'd like to do now is i want to get to chapter two if you have the book go ahead i'm not gonna i'm I'll at times read a a paragraph or or focus on something so if you have it here that's great if not don't worry about it or you can look on with some somebody else but we're in chapter two called recognizing the evil within proverbs 14 there is a way which seemeth right unto a man but the End uh, thereof are the ways of death. Please take your Bibles, ladies, and turn to Romans chapter 6 this morning. I want us to see something. Uh, we need to, if we're going to truly understand discipleship, we have to understand uh, the sin of uh, the, the flesh, I guess you could say, the sin nature that's in us. Now, there is important definition of terms because if you don't understand this correctly, you could actually uh, believe the wrong thing about yourself. Okay, and, uh, and then it would put you in a hopeless spot, all right? If you know the Lord as Savior this morning, and I don't know all your personal testimonies about when you may have come to Christ, trusting Him as Savior, if you are a child of God, and if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, there's something glorious that's happened to you, according to Romans chapter 6, right? It says in verse uh, 3, it says, "'Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death?' Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. This is an important verse, now verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So, First of all, you need to recognize something. When you got saved, the old man was crucified. You don't have the old man anymore. You say, well, I have a sin problem. Okay, we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, but you don't have the old man. You are a new creation in Christ. Isn't that glorious? In fact, who you are in Jesus Christ is righteous. That is actually your identity. Your identity is not the old man. The uh, old man, the, 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 the sin nature that can literally do nothing right had no ability to please God. Everything done by the old man is completely worthless, according to the scripture. No matter how good it is, it it does not measure up because it's not God's righteousness. It's man's sinfulness. But this verse says something glorious that happened at salvation. Your old man was crucified there when Jesus died on the cross and you're identified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Uh, uh, Another way to actually... To translate that verse would be rendered ineffective. Okay, so what it means is this. Your uh, flesh, you do have the flesh still, okay? Uh, Your flesh is rotten. Okay, I'll just put it straight out there. My flesh is rotten, and it's still there. It's not what has to dominate me anymore because that's not who I am, but I still have it. Does that make sense? So if you were to look at a, uh, a picture of what you are, your life, before you got saved, what, what, uh, what would be the term that would characterize you was sinful, hopeless, without God, completely dead, dead to God. There was nothing there. That, that, that you, that the, your spirit was dead. But then when you trust to Christ as Savior, everything changes. You're alive to God. You're, what was dead to God now is completely alive to Him, and His righteousness now is, is what characterizes you. But... You have to understand that you still have the flesh. And so when we disciple people that know the Lord as Savior, you you have to give them the hope of who they are in Christ, but you cannot minimize their sin. Does that make sense? Their potential, the flesh. The flesh is a very ugly thing uh, that is very real. And we'll see how Paul talks about that in Romans, actually in Romans chapter 7. And so sin's absolute rule over us has been broken. Look, look, your sin... Satan has no rule over you anymore. None. Zero. He's your old master. It'd be like, ladies, if you ever um, had an employer before. Uh, let's give the illustration. I'm embarrassed to embarrass here, but I, I know where she used to work. All right. And let's say your old uh, boss is there at Harley. All of a sudden, just today, uh, decide to call you up and say, you actually need to be back in work today. You know, you need to come in today. They're not your boss anymore. Now, she enjoy, I believe you enjoy working there. She worked there for many years. But the fact is is they have no, they have no say over her anymore. She can say, no, I'm not coming in. Okay, now maybe, maybe she's so used to going in, they almost would make her want to pull that direction to go in. But she, has, she, has, she can say no, hang up the phone and be, be kind and say, hang up the phone and say, sorry. You know what? When Satan and your flesh come knocking, you can say no. Because the Bible says in Romans six, that same context, that who you yield your members, or who you yield yourselves to, your members as instruments to, if you yield them to unrighteousness, unto sin, says, yield yourself unto God, as those that are alive from the dead. The Bible talks about the fact that you are alive in Christ. You you have you're a new creation. You have a new master. But we have the flesh. Okay, and the flesh is the source of tendency to dethrone God and to to view ourselves as the ruling entity of our lives. Flesh is constantly in conflict with the Spirit of God and is attempting to make life work apart from God. Let me ask you ladies, these last few days, how much did you look to the Lord and did you actually need God? I want you to think through yesterday. When you woke up, did you take time with God? Okay, maybe you did. That's great. But as you got into the day, how aware of you how where were you of your need for God? Like, how much were you saying, Lord, right now I need your wisdom with this decision? Lord, that temptation to think that thought about the other believers there, and God, I, I, I cannot go that direction. I'm, I, and then you begin to quote Scripture, you begin to look to the Lord. God, that reaction right now to my child... Uh, Is not right, you know. Some of you may struggle with reacting to your children or reacting to other people, or maybe you're in some kind of a workplace uh, part-time or something, and maybe you were there yesterday. And the people that trigger you, that make you want to react, and that child that just is is, uh, frustrating to you and, and why they're responding that way. Let me ask you a question. How much did you see your need for God yesterday? See, the flesh tells you you can live independently. In fact, we're going to look at this in a few minutes, but your flesh is going to tell you, in fact, you know, you're doing pretty well now. You know, your Christian growth is going great. I think you're okay. So just keep going the way you are. 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. And that's another way Satan deceives us, is actually making us feel like we're doing pretty good, pretty well. And that's when we get nailed. Now look at A.W. Tozer here. He says this. This is a quote in the book. The witness of the saints has been in full harmony with prophet and apostle that an inward principle of self lies at the source of human conduct, turning everything men do into evil. To save us completely, Christ must reverse the bend of our nature. He must plant a new principle within us so that our subsequent conduct will spring out of a desire to promote the honor of God and the goodwill of our fellow men. Man definitely has a great need. And as he says on, on the next page here in this book, a spiritual MRI is important to see what causes our problems. Now, It's easy, especially if you have a discouraged past. Maybe some of you ladies just have been just bound by certain aspects of sin, and you struggle with bitterness, and you struggle with relationship issues, and you're frustrated with God. You don't believe that God's really good because of things He's allowed in your life, and you just wrestle with things, and you always find yourself discouraged by yourself. And then I'm doing a chapter on the evil within you. You're like, where's the hope in this thing? Okay, there's great hope. You have to rec- it. By the way, did you know that the greatest hope for anybody comes from a, a complete honesty about who you are and your situation? Not an introspection and a despair, but an honesty, because then you can look to where there's hope. And we'll talk about that brief, uh, briefly here. Then he talks about getting the view of man right. And as you started the book, he gave a few scenarios. I don't know if you remember those when you read them on pages two and three, but he says this. He talks about. Um, People trying to solve their problems like this. So you have a spoiled teen. He may stop his sulking, a desirable change, but only because his parents have acquiesced and given him the car he wanted. Or a depressed wife may become her old cheerful self again, a desirable change, but only because her alcoholic husband has granted her a divorce. A college student may be getting better grades, a desirable change, but only because she has found a boyfriend whose affection has lifted her spirit, so she feels like studying again. Or an embittered dock worker may stop his complaining about the foreman's decisions, a desirable change, but only because the foreman was transferred to another terminal. Do do, do you get these points here? So, yeah, your circumstances change, so you're like, oh, okay, whew, but it didn't actually solve the underlying issue. Bitterness, conflicts in your life, a lack of trust in God, um, and so on. Did you know that every one of us here in this room are all bad people not inherently good? The society tells us today we've been evolved and uh, we're you know and, and there is no sin nature. The only reason that, that we have a problem we're all blank slates, right? We're all born with a blank slate, and so it's your environment that has caused the issue. That's why um, Hillary Clinton said it takes a village to raise a family, and her point or her person, and her point was that you know if you get just everybody in the right environment, everything will work out well. They totally totally take away the fact that every single person is born with a wicked sin nature now look i love my i love it when my kids are little right now malachi is in the cutest stage i mean that little guy the little lovable fuzzball malachi uh, it's funny his hair is getting blonder by the day we'll see we'll see what happens it's i never thought i'd have any blonde children that's with my hairdo but but anyway so here he is and um i mean just so cute my, my in-laws came in town last night for nathan's birthday today he's turning three and and uh and so they're here and it was just so funny because he hadn't seen them for only two months but you know when they're that that early stage everything's new and and so when they came in at first for a moment he's just looking at them and and they look at me and he looks back at them and, and it's just fun to watch them them taking things in he loves to just take things in he's he he's not super active yet um but did did you know that my cute little malachi is a dirty rotten sinner i mean evil evil you say that's not nice it's true Okay, he hasn't shown a lot of it yet, but I know it's there, trust me. I have eight, eight, eight other test cases in front of him, <laughs> plus his parents, so ten. Uh, but the point is that uh, he was born that way. When he came out, well, when well, he was conceived in the womb, but when he came out of there, out of his mommy that, that day, okay, he was, you know, even though he was a precious little helpless little guy, he was still, in, he was still a sinner. Is his environment important? Absolutely. The home he's in is greatly important to point him to truth, but the fact is it doesn't change the fact that he's a sinner. He's he's a sinner. And you have to get that down. We're all bad people. You know, I actually always cringe when everybody, you know, talks about how, you know, Americans are good people. Well I appreciate our culture and the Christian moorings that we've had, but we're not good people. Only thing the only thing that makes America good is when America is looking to God, and Americans are saved and, and know the Lord. Now, mankind, because we're made in the image of God, can do things that look good and are good, but they're not ultimately, they're, if they're not of God, if they're not from somebody who's saved, they're ultimately evil because they're they're, they're, they're for self, which is hard to say, but it's true. Um, so we have to recognize it. Now, Paul starts, this is interesting, if you know anything about the book of Romans, does anybody know what the first few chapters of Romans is about? Are, uh, the first few chapters are about. Does anybody know? One through three. What, what what does Paul deal with? Anybody want to throw something at me here? Sin, right? How sinful man is. Romans chapter 1 is a very sobering chapter. Romans 1 is very much a description of what we're facing today in our culture, and we're at the end of it. Our culture is all the way to the end of the list of Romans 1, which is sobering, because that's the destruction of a society. By the way, I'm not negative, and as I believe God is working and is going to do a great work today, but I'm also not, I'm not, I don't have my head in the sand, okay? And, uh, and so and God doesn't um, let sin go. And all these things, you know, just this list, I mean, it deals with the, the fact that it starts with, in fact, if you look with me in Romans 1, he talks about in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Did you know that it all starts with not glorifying God for who He is? not exalting him for the position that he deserves as Lord. And then they're not thankful. By the way, your lack of gratitude and thankfulness is a big deal, ladies. That's something that believers struggle with a lot, especially in this nation, I think, is that we're just not thankful people. We get upset about everything because we're so used to having everything go well, you know, just have what we need and what we want. and We're not thankful. And then... It gets worse, you come vain in your imaginations, the foolish heart is darkened, and then professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Isn't it interesting how wise we've gotten as a country, supposedly, how smart and yet, how out of control and chaotic we are now? Think about all the advances we're making with technology and all the advances we're making with so many things and yet we're more chaotic and out of control than maybe ever as a country. We have no, I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Okay, because when we think we're wise, we're fools when we live in this mindset. And then talks about the tragedy of a homosexual lifestyle that talks about that, how it's completely anti-God. And then, and then it goes into just a whole description of the fact that, um, verse 29, "...be filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things." This being to parents, I keep going on and on and on. It's quite a list, it, it describes our culture. So we have to recognize that we have a problem, and it, it's a sin problem, okay? And uh, this is given, by the way, in Romans. Paul speaks of this before he lays out the unbelievably glorious plan of the gospel. Chapters 4 and 5, he talks about that. I love chapter 5, speaking of uh, the first Adam and then the second Adam. You know, first, first by man um, came death, sin, but uh, through the second Adam has come life, uh, salvation, the free gift, and so on. Uh, and then in the chapter 6, um, dealing with the glory, 6 through 8, of sanctification. But it all has to start with the fact that we have a sin problem. Okay? And that's where we have to, if you have, the, look, can I to ask you, ask you this, ladies? If I were to give the gospel to somebody and I never told them that they were a sinner, would they truly have trusted Christ? No, if they don't recognize they're a sinner, they can't be saved. You can't just go up and say, hey, would you like to go to heaven? All right, pray this prayer with me. That's not salvation. All right, what do you have to do in order to be saved? You have to recognize you have a problem. It's called sin, and your penalty is death apart from God in hell. And when you recognize that, and when you recognize the fact you have to look to God, what happens? Well, then he saves you. Didn't you know you have to have the same understanding of your flesh, though, ladies? That your flesh is wicked? I don't care how much you've grown in the Lord. Your flesh is still wicked. Not that you're, you're living wickedly, but you have to un- understand the potential inside of you is there. Okay? I'm 40 years old. I've been saved since I was three. So, what, 37 years that I've known the Lord, never doubted my salvation. I praise God for that, His goodness and protecting my mind that way. But I can remember when I trusted Christ. The only memory I have, from, I have two memories from Chicago. One is when I got saved as a three-year-old, and the other memory is the day we left. That's it. That's not true. I have one other one that just came to mind when we were at the house, I was, um, I remember going downstairs with my sister Anne doing something naughty, and then I don't remember what happened after my mom <laughs> found me. But, um, but anyway, so, but, but all I can say is this, not a lot of memories from there, but the one memory of salvation, I recognized when I was a little boy, I knew I was a sinner. My parents talked, I would come back, taught well by my parents, and also the, the nursery there at Market Manor in Chicago, and I remember, I don't remember, my, remember my parents t- telling me how I would come in and say, talk about hell. And, how real it was well i had to recognize that as, as a little kid you know my, my children have all had to come to the place where they know that they're sinners and that they need a savior now when it comes to sanctification you have to see sin for what it is in order for you to know how much you need god does that make sense again you're you're a new creation in christ if you know the lord as savior and so you don't have to live ever dominated by sin that's not the i'm not trying to say you just have to live resigned to the fact that sin's just always going to hold no in fact you should never. Uh, have a characterization of your life being characterized by sin no but you have to recognize what's what's there though the flesh is real okay then in verse or not verse uh, uh, page 28 he kind of moves into some misdiagnoses that can happen for parenting counseling and so on now I'm going to read part of this just because I think it's very interesting when he talks about parenting just to get your mind thinking there's all kinds of faulty reasons for the phenomenon of teenage rebellion are swallowed hook, and sinker by parents because they do not have a biblical picture of their teen's heart. They believe that they are fighting just a hormonal battle or a natural struggle for independence from parental control. Others feel like that peer pressure and its resulting worldliness are the main predators upon the family unity. Or they feel their teen is suffering from low self-esteem or is merely being immature. Now, the attendant solution of these diagnoses is for parents to batten down the hatches, While they ride out the storms of raging hormones, or if a teen quest for independence is driving the turmoil, negotiate a peace accord with the teen by doling out more freedom in return for some cooperation and civility at home. Those who see peer pressure as the main culprit will try various restrictions to keep him from bad company, while others noticing what they call his low self-esteem will do everything they can to help him feel good about himself. Parents who see their teen as immature can hope only that somehow and hope sometime soon he grows out of it. Now, while some of these diagnoses, like hormones, and there are real aspects of development, I, I get that, and peer pressure, that's real, can certainly influence a teen's thoughts and choices and will need to be addressed. So it's not ignoring that. You need to take all that into consideration. Not one of them, though, strikes at the root of the problem the teen's heart itself. The issues just described are not the cause of the rebellion. Does that make sense? Okay, they're not the cause. Rather, in most cases, they reveal what's going on in his heart. So that's good news, though. Because that means if a parent understands God's view of the heart, you can begin to address the problem God's way. And by the way, we're not going to get to all those solutions today, okay? Kind of laying out an underlying foundation of the evil that's within us in our flesh. So now, can I get this across to you ladies, though? This is a really important paragraph. Incidentally, a parent who does not understand the nature of the human heart will not be aware of how his own heart's corruption is a further stumbling block to the heart of his child. A parent's own inconsistency, anger, moodiness, materialism, sensuality, or deception can be a far more serious stumbling block to the teen's life than whatever problem like peer pressure or immaturity the parent is trying to address. What's wrong with my kid? Why can't they get it right? Why are they always struggling at church? Why are they reacting? Why are they doing this? Why are they that? And the, and, and the parent is, is, this, is, is blaming and so on, and sometimes the parents' just missing the fact that they've got lots of needs in their own life that their kid can see right through. Trust me, the greatest thing that God, uh, gift that God's given to me is my children. Why? Well, my spouse too, of course. But why? Because man has revealed who I am. I'm selfish. I'm very selfish. I, um, I've seen how quickly I can react in the flesh. You know, the more I've been married and have children, the more I have a healthy respect for how sinful my flesh is. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. But your children need to see victory. They need to see when you've had. And ladies, can I just say, please, always be humble and transparent. When you do wrong and you react in a wrong way, or you say something you shouldn't, or 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 you're struggling spiritually, your kids need to know that you see it and that you call it for what it is and that you're willing to be humble about it. You say, Well, if I admit my failure, my kids are gonna think I'm you know, I'm not, you know, I'm something's wrong with me. No, they already know something's wrong with you. They do. They know something's wrong. I mean it's interesting, man, my kids can see right through me. It's painful. But I'll tell you what. When I say, with tears in my eyes sometimes, I'll say, kids, that was horrible, the way Daddy responded there. God's working on my heart. Would you please forgive me? But in this home, this is not, it's not acceptable, and Daddy was not the right example. Does that make sense? We need to have a kind of humility, because that's the only way, ultimately, we have to recognize how sinful we are, because sometimes we excuse, well, that's just my personality. Well, no, it's not. Sure, you can... Some, some of us have tendencies toward whatever, but it doesn't matter. All of us can have the joy of the Lord. All of us can have the peace of God. All of us can have long-suffering. Why? Because if you're filled with the Spirit, that's what will be characterizing your life. Okay. Then there can be misdiagnosis and counseling and in local church settings and Christian education. And by the way, can I just mention this one? This is an important point. I'm really glad he made it. I'm actually very thankful. This is a good point he made. There's a lot of times today, I remember a school that used to exist in our state a college. It doesn't exist anymore. It was in more of... Um, the um, the network of churches that our church is in, and uh, they began to say, you know, and it used to be a, have a powerful mission sending um, passion, but they began to get this idea. And I remember being up there um, for somebody's graduation, and uh, that school was changing its philosophy at that time. And they began to say, you know, our kids just need less. You know, the reason we're struggling today is that the kids need less accountability. Let's get rid of the merits. And they started saying discipleship is just. And they started just taking away the importance of accountability and, and watchfulness and helpfulness in that discipleship where you're bringing kids along. And I'll tell you what, that school is not there anymore. <laughs> it's completely imploded. It's tragic. It's, not, it's very sad to me. Uh, in fact, in the 90s, the school I'm speaking of sent more missionaries than even the larger universities. Some of the really sweetest, great, best missionaries that I know. In fact, even Brother Okada was back in Japan. Last time in June, he told me he ran into somebody who, who graduated from that school. He didn't know that that pastor had. and You know, just, just different ways that God worked there. But the leadership there just basically um, destroyed it from the inside out by saying that, well, we actually don't need... They're basically minimizing the flesh. You know why that is, though? It comes from a philosophy where in, in their own lives, they were not seeing the world for what it was and the danger of the world. And so much of their ministry be- got, got contextualized with the world. So then, therefore, why would we need to have certain regulations and standards? Because they, they were less and less in their own line, seeing in, in in their own life, seeing the danger of some things. And it's really tragic t- to me uh, to have viewed that. I'm now I've been around long enough. I still feel like a kid, but I've been around long enough to see tragically many churches and schools that have had this philosophy either collapse or completely change and uh they 're not producing young people almost at all that have a heart for God, and they 're just completely eaten up by the world um, you know did you know that the mega church movement and uh, i 'm not against a large church at all uh, I believe if it 's done the right way and there's there's ministry and so on, God can grow i mean <laughs> the early the early church I believe had many large gatherings and so on That's, there's nothing wrong with that but when it when the philosophy of it is um very worldly, and it's, it's all man-centered and, and entertainment, uh, no wonder the most of the megachurches right now are shrinking. They're not all shrinking, but most of them are, especially since COVID. Why? Because the younger generation sees right through it. You have to start un- understanding the fact of sin for what it is. That's where it starts, you know, and not painting the world as something better than it is either. Now, I don't have time to get into this, but there's the Nature of our sin nature. He talks about that. How Romans 3 and Romans 7, you remember Paul in Romans 7 he says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing, for to do, for to will or to do right is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Aren't you glad though that Paul didn't end Romans 7 and just leave it there and the book of Romans was done? No. What does he say? because um, he was saying, I got this conflict in me. I delight after God in the inward man, but man. I stink, you know, basically is what he was saying. Man, my flesh is rotten. I see this, you know, just this the law of sin and so on. But then he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, after he just said, Oh wretched man that I am. And then next verse, chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that which are in Christ Jesus. So that's the glorious thing, is yes, you gotta see your sin. Look, it, Paul, who was a man of God, saw himself that wicked for God, for, for, forgive us for seeing ourselves better than we are. Okay? But then there's also, when you see yourself that way, then when you look to Jesus, there's great hope and victory there. Um, he has a little section here I need you to wrap up quickly. I'm actually speaking in the College Chapel a few moments here. Different message. So we'll see if, uh, I th- I'll bet you some things will come out from from, from this, you know how it goes. Uh, have it your way, this whole idea of the independent self-mindset of today. Um And uh, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It's been the, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Our biggest problem then is not the environment in which we have been reared. It's not the evil which has been done to us by others. It's not the limitations that we feel. Our biggest problem is a heart that wants its own way in opposition to God's way. That's what it is. Okay. And then uh, verse uh, 36, I'm sorry, I keep saying verse, page 36. um, He uh, talks here about... um, if you at the moment are not experiencing this warfare, speaking of warfare, when okay, it's like this. i got to wrap up this thought. But he says this. He says, look, when you begin to recognize your sin for what it is and you begin to turn to the Lord and say, God, I want to have victory, these areas of frustration and anger and bitterness, I don't want them holding my life anymore. So when you get to that mindset and, and God's working in your heart, you actually will find yourself feeling like, you know because you're gonna think oh it should be great but you're gonna you're gonna all of a sudden you're not drifting with the current anymore you're swimming upstream and there's a battle there now you don't have to have to to fear it but there's a battle either you're drifting with the current and it's therefore you're not feeling the strength as it carries you to ruin and by the way I heard a tragic story of a two a boy that traveled with Dr. Jim last semester just the last day or two um, connected to Henderson I think this family's living in their home but a young man's um, dad a boy who traveled his dad and brother um were out swimming and the current carried him out and i'm pretty sure that his brother is did, did he pass away do you know did you hear about this did he tell you yeah i just heard about it. Is, is 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 he with the lord he died okay so i only bring this story up in this context somebody being swept away in a current is tragic did you know that when you're in the current of your flesh that's what you're heading to is destruction you say i know the lord savior yeah but there's great ruin there too God's merciful, He's keep working on you, but if you don't listen to Him, He's he lets you um to reap what you sow. Okay? So don't think you're okay. Don't think you st you you are standing. Let take heed lest you fall, Paul says. Be sober and be vigilant. Um and then um the flesh that defiles man, he talks about how our fundamental crookedness has defiled our entire being. It's not that somebody's just more wicked. It's just we're all wicked. Okay? Now, obviously some of us have yielded to the sin principle more, and that's tragic. And then uh, talks about how the flesh deceives man. It conceals the truth of who we are, and it causes us not to see ourselves for who we are and see God for who He is. And then it it ultimately destroys man. Again, I don't have time to talk about that. There are a few reflection questions, most of them taken from the book. There's a few adjustments I made on a couple of them for you to think about. And uh, so I trust this will be a help to you this morning. Thank you, ladies.